everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, 30 minutes of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Svela. I live in Joshua Tree, and I'm pleased to bring this program to the high desert and beyond here on Radio Free Joshua Tree. Today I want to tell you a trickster story. And if you listen to this program regularly, you know that trickster stories are among my favorites, and that's because they never fail to confound me. Some detail, however small, will grab me and wrestle with me for a while, just like a Buddhist cone. Paradoxes can lead us to a deeper understanding about reality because they show us the underlying relationships between things that we commonly think are opposites. The trickster, the archetypal trickster, embodies paradox. He is the rebel who makes the rules, the one who makes the world safe, and also lets in death. Now, usually I I turn to Coyote, who is a very common face of the trickster here in the Mojave, But today I want to tell you a story about another trickster, Raven. Raven is a very visible and vocal participant in the circle of creatures here in the Mojave, but his most developed mythologies come from the Pacific Northwest. And the story that I'm going to tell you today, called Raven Steals the Light, is from the Haida people who live on the islands on the edge of British Columbia and Alaska. The Haida are also known as the people of the Eagle and Raven clans, and the trickster Raven is a very important part of their mythology. Now, in many traditions, it's commonly understood that there was a time, a mythic time, before this one and that that is the time when everything was created and put into place. And the story I'm going to tell you today comes from that sensibility. But before I tell it, I want to just reflect on this before and after a little bit. It seems to me that there are three thresholds, if you will, in this mythic time that precedes our own. Three thresholds that get crossed, rather. First, we have the move from nothing to something. The move to the creation of the world, the separation of land and sky and water. The second is a dawning, the coming of light, fire, or consciousness, or maybe all of those things. And this is a time when essential elements for life as we know it are created, found, assembled, put into place in some traditions, monsters and other creatures who are not going to be appropriate for a world where human beings live are removed. And then we get to this third threshold or transition, which emerges then from the activity of this dawning period. And that's the establishment of order, the rules and the forms that govern life are now in place. One name for this order is fate. And this world, this is the one that we live in. And those mythic dimensions involve 
those first two phases. Tricksters, like Raven, play an important role in all of these transitions. Often they're credited with the initial creation of the Earth and other beings, including human beings. In one story about Raven, for example, he is flying through the darkness over the primal waters, carrying a large pouch. And this pouch gets very heavy, and Raven gets tired, and so he stops to remove some of the contents. And the first thing he removes is a rock, which he drops into the water, and then he sits down on the rock, and he takes some more rocks out of his pouch, and this is how land is created. In this story, Raven then gets up and flies on for a while, and then again he gets tired, and he stops and settles down on the land and lets a few things out of his pouch. He lets out trees, he lets out other plants, he lets out animals, birds, fish. Uh, There are a lot of parallels in this story to the seven days and seven nights myth in uh, the Christian book of Genesis. So today's story is about the dawn. This is a story about that that second uh, threshold, crossing that second threshold. And this is my version of the story. It's drawn from material that was collected by Robert Bringhurst. And I invite you to listen and consider this story as a window into your own belief system and an opportunity to reflect on the images and beings that you associate with creation, and in particular, this dawning. I am not a teller in the Haida tradition or any kind of expert on the Haida people. I'm offering this story to you from the belief that all of us need a trickster, in particular those of us who grew up in a culture where he was not commonly recognized. I want to express my gratitude also to the Native people who allow wisdom stories like these to be written down and shared outside the circle of significance that gave them birth. Now, on with the story. Way back in the very, very, very beginning, before there was anything, before there were animals walking on the earth, before there were birds in the trees, before there were fish in the ocean, there was an old man who lived in a little house on a riverbank with his only child, a daughter. Now, we don't know whether or not this daughter was beautiful or ugly because this story takes place in absolute darkness. At the time that this story takes place, the world was completely dark, and that's because this old man owned a series of boxes. He owned a box that fit into 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 a box. box. And the smallest box of these nested boxes was so small that all that it contained was all of the light in the universe. Now, Raven existed at this time, too, because there has never been a time when there was no Raven. And Raven wasn't very happy with this state of affairs. He was trying to eat and do all of the things that he wanted to do in total darkness. 
We're talking pitch dark, darker than anything we ever see now. And this meant that he did a lot of bumping into things and blundering around, and it was a totally unsatisfactory situation. Well, eventually, with all of this bumbling and bumping, he came across the house by the river. At first, he heard a sound. He thought maybe it was singing, but when he got closer, it turned out to be the voice of this old man muttering, and Raven listened very, very, very closely. You know, ravens pay attention to everything. And he heard the old man talking to himself. And the man was saying, Oh, I have a box within a box within a box within a box. And in the smallest box in the very middle, I have all of the light in the universe. And I'm going to keep it just for myself. Because if that light gets out, you'll be able to see my daughter. And whether or not she's ugly or whether or not she's beautiful right now doesn't matter at all. But if there were light, well, neither one of us may want to know the truth. It only took a moment for Raven to decide that he was going to steal the light. But the larger question then was how. He moved very carefully all around the perimeter of the house, feeling high and low, left and right, covering every inch, looking for some kind of an opening for a door or a window somewhere, and he couldn't find one. The walls were completely smooth planks. Now, the funny thing was, every now and then he heard the man or his daughter leave the house, but every time they left, they were on the opposite side. And when he got around to their side of the house and felt around, the walls were still unbroken. No matter how careful he was and no matter how conscientious he was, they always managed to come and go without him catching them and he never found an opening into this house. So finally Raven gave up on that and he went a little ways upstream to think about plan B. And as he sat there thinking he thought more and more of of the girl, the young girl who lived in the house, and she started to stir his imagination and other things. Well, he thought to himself, it's very possible. In fact, it's likely that she's as ugly as a sea slug, but on the other hand, she may be very beautiful. She may be as beautiful as the fronds of the hemlock, glistening against a bright spring sunrise, if, of course, there was light enough to make such a sunrise. And as he sat there contemplating this image, he suddenly got an idea and a possible solution to his problem. Now, the young woman regularly came down to the stream to gather water. And Raven sat by the stream waiting for her. He could tell the sound of her footsteps in the darkness. And when she got close, he changed himself into a single hemlock needle and dropped himself onto the surface of the stream. And he floated down just in time 
to be caught into the basket that the girl was dipping into the river. Now, Raven had great magic, and even in this little tiny form, in the form of this little hemlock frond, he had enough magic to make the girl thirsty. And he did. And she took a deep drink from the basket and managed to swallow the needle that was Raven. Raven slithered down her throat and deep down into her insides where he found a warm, soft, comfortable spot. And there he transformed himself into a baby human being. And he went to sleep. And while he slept, he grew as babies do. The young girl didn't realize what was happening for quite a while. And neither did her father, because, of course, they lived together in total darkness, and such a thing had never before occurred. But she started to feel a little unusual, and one day her father bumped into her and became aware of a new presence in the house. Not long after, Raven emerged in the shape of a boy child. He was a very strange-looking child. A boy, but with some strange raven characteristics. A little bit of a beak, perhaps. Some few feathers hanging off of him here and there. And he had the bright, shining eyes, ever inquisitive, of raven. He would have attracted a great deal of attention if, of course, anyone could have seen him. In addition to these raven characteristics, this little raven boy child was very noisy. He talked a lot. He made a lot of sounds. And many of them were very unpleasant. Harsh and strong and loud. The sound of disgruntlement or disapproval. But sometimes he could speak very softly, and perhaps you've heard this almost bell-like, melodious quality. It is part of every raven's speech. Well, at the times when he was speaking softly, his voice ringing like a little bell, his grandfather grew to love him and spent a lot of time playing with him and making toys for him. So for a time, the three of them lived together in the house in total darkness. There was a great incentive on the part of both the daughter and the man to keep this noisy boy child happy. And while their affection for him grew, their affection for his more troublesome, crackling noises did not. And they became accustomed to meeting his demands. Raven, for his part, was always surreptitiously hunting and feeling around for those wooden boxes. And finally, he discovered them and became convinced that this big box that he could feel standing in one corner of the house was the largest of the nested boxes. One day, he said to his grandfather, 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 please let me play with the box. Well, his grandfather wanted to say no, but as soon as he 
started to go in that direction, his raven boy child grandson started making a fuss, and grandfather didn't want that, and so he gave him the box. The raven boy child played with the largest box for a while, but then he decided that he wanted the next box. And since any form of disagreement triggered his unpleasantly noisy protests, the grandfather gave him the next box. That box, the raven child promised his grandfather, was the one thing that he needed to make him completely happy. And if you're a grandfather, or have ever observed grandfathers, or had a grandfather, then you know that the one thing that grandfathers most like to do is to give their grandchildren the thing that will make them the most happy. So box after box after box after box was given to Raven as a plaything. Now it took quite a few days and a lot of skillful cajoling manipulation, but one by one the boxes were removed, and when there were only a few left, a strange kind of radiance started to fill the room. Now, it was still far too murky for any of the inhabitants to really see each other, but some vague shapes and outlines were now apparent. This is when the raven child begged to be allowed to hold the light for just a moment. That there was light present was obvious. Now, of course, a grandfather immediately refused, but gave in for the same reasons that he had always given. He went to the boxes, and he lifted out the light, and it was in the form of a beautiful incandescent ball, which he tossed carefully to his grandson. That grandfather only got a glimpse of this strange child on whom he had lavished so much love and affection because in the time it took for that ball of light to travel to the child, Raven changed himself from his human form back into his raven shape and as a huge shining black shadow with wings spread, he opened his beak and took the ball. He snapped the light up in his jaws, thrust his wings forward, and shot like a ball out of a cannon through the smoke hole of the house into that tremendous, deep darkness of the world. That dark world was immediately transformed. Suddenly, the mountains and the valleys were starkly silhouetted. And the waters of the rivers and the streams and the oceans were sparkling. The leaves of the trees cast dappled reflections. And everywhere life began to stir. The world, in a sense, woke up. And from far, far, far away, there was another great winged creature that launched itself into the air, and for the first time ever, Eagle could see where he was going. And for the first time ever, Eagle could see his target, which was 
as you may guess, Raven. Now Raven flew on, enjoying his wonderful new possession and just admiring the beauty of the world below and the effect that he was having on everything there. Can you imagine being able to see, really see, for the first time? He was no longer flying blind, and he could now see what was the best and get it for himself. He was having such an amazing time that he didn't notice Eagle until Eagle was almost on top of him. Suddenly, he looked up to see the great bird descending on him with his talons outstretched, and in a panic, he swerved to escape Eagle. And in so doing, he dropped half of the light that he was carrying. And it fell, fell, fell down to the earth, landed on some rocks, and smashed into a bunch of pieces, which then bounced back up into the sky and became what we know now today as the moon and the stars that give such brilliance to our night. Eagle continued his pursuit of Raven, and they flew well beyond the rim of the world, where finally, exhausted from this long chase, Raven let go of that last bit of light. Out there beyond the rim of the world, It gently floated onto the clouds and started up over the mountains in the east. This, of course, is our sun. Well, those very, very, very first rays of sunlight and that first sunrise that hit our beautiful earth were caught by the smoke hole in that house by the river where the old man sat bitterly weeping over the loss of his light, the treachery of his beloved grandchild, and the possible fate of his daughter, poor thing, who is now revealed to all. As the light came in, he became aware of her sitting quietly, watching him. She was completely bewildered by everything that had happened, all of the commotion, the disappearance of her child. And when the old man looked up, he saw that she was as beautiful as the fronds of a hemlock against a spring sky at sunrise. And he began to feel just a little bit better, as did everything on this fine earth. And so it was that Raven stole the light from that old man and gave it to all of us. Now you may be wondering what happens next and I have time to tell one other short story from the Haida tradition that might satisfy your curiosity just a little bit. After the coming of the light there was a great flood and after the waters from this great flood had at last receded Raven found himself alone on the beach. Raven was there because Raven is always there. And he gorged himself on the delicacies that were left by the receding water. As you know, ravens will eat just about anything. So for once he wasn't hungry, but his curiosity 
and unquenchable itch to meddle and provoke things, was deeply unsatisfied. He was alone. Raven gazed up and down the beach. It was pretty, but lifeless. There was no one around to upset or play tricks on. So Raven was bored. He crossed his wings behind him and strutted up and down the sand. He cocked his shiny head. Sharp eyes and ears were alert for any unusual sight or sound. The mountains and the sea, the sky, were now ablaze with the sun by day and the moon and the stars at night, light that he had created, that he had placed. But it was quiet and still. Finally, Raven cried out to the empty sky with a loud, exasperated cry. And just then, he heard a muffled squeak. He looked up and down the beach for the source of this sound and saw nothing. He strutted back and forth, once, twice, three times, and he still didn't see anything. And then, there it was, a flash of white in the sand. Half buried in the sand was a giant clamshell. He walked closer, and as his shadow fell upon it, Raven heard another muffled squeak. He cocked his head and peered into the opening between the halves of the shells and saw that it was full of tiny creatures cowering in fear. Well, Raven was delighted. Here was a break in the monotony of his day. But how was he going to get these little creatures to come out of their shell and play with him? First he tapped on the shell, and they just huddled and drew back muttering and squeaking. So then he called to them in his smooth voice, the seductive voice, the voice with the bell-like croon, and he sensed a calm settling over the inhabitants of the clamshell, but not one emerged. So Raven flew to a nearby bush and filled his beak with berries. He went back to the shell and laid the berries down outside and commenced his gentle cajoling. The creatures inside were hungry and at last, lured by the sight of the berries and Raven's sweet voice, one by one they emerged from the shell. They were white and yellow and black and brown and red and Raven had never seen anything so frail and vulnerable and flimsy. This fragility aroused a special affection in his heart. And after they'd eaten the berries, he took them under his wing. These were the first human beings. And we're told that Raven has remained our patron to this day, for better or for worse. So I hope you've enjoyed those stories about Raven. I'm going to dig some others up because there's quite a rich tradition there. But that is it for me, Catherine Savela, and Myth in the Mojave for today. 
Feel free to contact me if you have comments or questions about today's program or mythology in general. I encourage you to visit the archives on the Myth in the Mojave website to find other trickster stories, most of them about Coyote. And if you haven't gone to Facebook and given me a like, please do so. I also want to remind you that Radio Free Joshua Tree and Myth in the Mojave are made possible by generous donations from local sponsors like Mojave Wi-Fi and Pappy and Harriet's, and even more importantly, by listeners like you. So if you haven't been to the Radio Free Joshua Tree website to use that handy PayPal donate button lately, I encourage you to do so. Thank you so much for listening. Please tune in next week. And in the meantime, happy myth-making and keep the mystery in your life.